0: The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Let's pray.
1: Father, we do thank you that you give us your word and that we can sing confidently, asking you to send that word out by your spirit to change and renew us. You are engaged with us and by your word you change and renew as you illumine our insides, you change us on the inside that we can walk with newness of life. We're your people, and that is a great privilege that you give to us. And so along with that song, Lord, that's what I pray, that you would do that now today, here in this moment. You would open our eyes to your truth in the Scripture. Help us to understand it, particularly as we talk about parenting and family now over the next few weeks. Would you teach us probably things that we have heard and already know least, would you teach us them again, freshly, to persuade us and draw us along, parents and children, and those of us who are grandparents, and those of us who aren't parents, and those of us who, who are older and younger at all different stages in life, men and women, every one of us, Lord, would you speak through these words in your word Renew, change us, build your people. Father, we look to you dependent on you to shepherd us, to nourish us, your children. So work, please. Would you come and illumine our minds for the truth of your scripture? Would you grow us up? Would you help us to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling that you've given to us? Thank you for being trustworthy. Thank you for being near. Speak now and build your church. We pray this, that Christ would be honored in it. In his name we pray, amen. Today we are beginning a short sermon series on the topic of parenting family and parenting. Last week we finished the book of Philippians and in early March we're going to begin another book study, another longer book study on the Gospel of Luke. And as is our habit often between longer book studies we we change pace a little bit and do something a little shorter and often something a little topical. So this time we're going to address the subject of parenting for a couple reasons. One, given that we're teaching a class on marriage right now, and marriage and parenting are so closely related. Marriage is actually a key part of parenting. You can't parent well if you don't do marriage well. Because parenting is, is the living display of the gospel right in front of your kids. And if you're not doing that well, there's, there's not much hope in, in parenting then towards Christ well. These are very closely related topics. And so we thought to talk about them at the same time would be helpful. And additionally, in April we're going to conduct something, a Friday night, Saturday morning extended teaching time. We call them boot camps. We've done them traditionally for, for men over the last few years. We're going to do one for, on parenting for men and women both, a training time, training for action, a boot camp coming up on that. So I want to give a little prelude to that. But more importantly, we're talking about parenting at all because families and parenting in particular, those are this is a, a frequent area of struggle, frustration, confusion, pain, Disappointment. And God means for it to be an area of joy and blessing and a a unique place in which His kingdom is grown and people experience some of the the goodness and the delight of the Lord. So, what is to be and what is, there there often is a large gap between the two. So, we want to talk a little bit next five weeks. I think we're going to do five weeks talk a little bit about what God says in his word about how we can close that gap and experience more of what he means for families, in particular parenting. It's kind of our focus here, particularly parenting-to-be. So, I do this, and I acknowledge that not all of us are parents right now. That's okay. That's okay. It's okay for a couple reasons. One, as, as you'll see, even today, much of parenting applies to the christian life in general. So even if even if i'm specifically talking about something parenting and you're not thinking of it in relation to parenting, it still applies to you, it's still helpful for you. Much of even what we'll see today applies to you if you're not thinking about parenting a bit. However, you should also think about parenting even if you're not a parent right now or if you're a grandparent because you know people who are parents and you know people who are kids and maybe you are a kid. And we are a family. And we often should and do talk to one another to encourage and exhort and and help think about how is your family going and how is your parenting going and what can I say to speak into your life hope and encouragement, perhaps correction. And I, I, I say grieved that very often what happens in those kind of conversations when I hear what one says to another, it sounds a lot more like the world and a lot less like the Bible than it should for Christians talking to Christians. That's really unfortunate. So because you are in a body and you have responsibility to one another, it would behoove you to know, what, what does God say about how we should parent? Even if it's not me, even if I'm counseling someone else, you need to know what Scripture says. So for, for a bunch of different reasons, this is a subject on parenting that's for all of us, even those of us who are not parents. We could look at it for about five weeks or so, I'm going to begin with the book of Ephesians. I'm going to read one passage from Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. And I'm going to read the passage here in a minute, verses 1 through 4, and then make three observations. One, kind of preliminarily explaining some things, and then two, coming from the passage directly, working towards this main point for this morning. Here's my main point for this morning. The task of raising a family towards Christ task of raising a family towards Christ must flow out of personal filling up with Christ. The task of raising a family towards Christ must flow out of personal filling up with Christ. Christ, so I'm saying a different way, Christ by the Spirit of God Must fill the family and particularly the parents if the family is to become what it can and should be. So, if we're talking about parenting, we are less, we are always less talking about technique and skill. If you do it just like this, it works out. Now, not that there's nothing to say there, but less that and more personal. Filling up with Christ. Parenting, family is first a spiritual issue long before it's a technical skill issue. The task of raising a family towards Christ must flow out of personal filling up with Christ. We're going to move towards that in Ephesians 6 this morning. Let me read verses 1 through 4. Children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's our passage for this morning. I'm going to make three observations. Here's the first one. And really, this, this could be the first, this is the preliminary statement, the first observation for the whole of the series. The Christian family is to draw strength and life from the filling of the Spirit of God. The Christian family is to draw strength and life from the filling of the Spirit of the Spirit of God. And to see this point, we need to understand the larger context within which the passage I just read sits. The book of Ephesians, two clear halves, chapters 1 through 3, talk about the gospel, front, back, up, down, the gospel, what it is God has done to save his people. And then at chapter 4, verse 1, there's a great big change. Therefore, the gospel being true, God having worked to save us, not of ourselves, he alone, therefore, because that's happened, how should we then walk in a manner that matches that? Chapter 4, verse 1 is a big change. And that word walk, or live, some translations say, marks out the rest of the book, gives structure to the rest of the book. He saved you by this gospel, now therefore walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And by chapter 5, verse 15, Paul tells us to look carefully then how we walk, not as unwise, but as wise, and then 5.18, here's what wise walking looks like. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. But instead, be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18. Be continually filled with the Spirit. That's the grammar there. It's not a one-time thing. Be continually filled with the Spirit. The walk that is wise, the walk that matches what God has done to save us, a walk that's worthy of that, that, that's what should be given, what he's done to save us, that walk is a walk of being continually filled with the Spirit. That's the umbrella then, that filling of the Spirit is the umbrella that then gives structure to the, the whole rest of the book, the household code. If you look down, you'll see wives and husbands, children and parents, slaves and masters, the stuff of households. Be filled with the Spirit in the household. It's the rest of the book. Very important. So, what does it mean? Paul helps our understanding. What does it mean, be filled with the Spirit? He helps with his analogy, his comparison there. Don't get drunk on wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. That comparison helps us. Like wine, you take wine into you, fills you, you are taken over, you are controlled, you are directed, you are altered, even powerfully so. And it seems that he has kind of a party setting in mind because he talks about it. it it's debauchery, a, a, a party that's gone to excess Don't do that. But contrast, the spirit filling can also take over and control and direct and drive you on towards delight, towards pleasure. That's what you should be about. All right. So the analogy of drunkenness helps us understand what he means here when he talks about being filled, part of it, but you might notice that word, fill. We talked about that last week. The drunkenness thing helps us somewhat, but not quite enough. Because if you think about if you're drunk, you're out of your mind directed. You're, you're foolishly out of control. The Spirit of God, when it comes and fills us, is very much an in-your-mind controlling and directing and driving. And that helps us... We understand the word fill. Last week, the sun coming through. My God will supply all your needs. And the Philippians here. He will fill all your needs according to his riches, his fullness. It's the same word here all three times. Different forms of the word. It's got the same word family here. If we're thinking about the Spirit of God filling us here, we should have right behind us, those of us who were here last week, the end of Philippians and the wealthy God filling us with all that he is. We're on the same subject here. God who is complete, who is wealthy in every conceivable respect, delivering himself to us by his Spirit living in us so that God fills us in all that God is. All of his perfections are poured into us, are filling us up, are renewing our minds. It is God at work in us to change what we want, to change how we see things, to change what we chase. God, by the Spirit, filling us with himself, shining in through the cross, that was Philippians. That's also filled with the Spirit. Filled by the Spirit. God filling us so that, if you want to use the language of Philippians, what comes and takes over you, Christian, what you're changed to is Philippians chapter 4. So that you see before you God and all of the world through God so that you rejoice always in the Lord and you respond thankfully to every trial and you lift up prayerful requests to God and peace of God guards your heart and mind and you, re- you look with your eyes at all that is good and wonderful and pleasant and pleasing and you practice righteousness as Paul modeled it. That's what happens when God in his fullness fills you or, to use language of Ephesians, when the Spirit fills you. You are taken over, directed, changed, renewed. Which may cause somebody at this point to say, hold on a second. I thought we were talking about parenting. We are. We are. Structurally, I already said this, that right there, 5.18, you can look at your Bible, 5.18. What follows on there, 19 and 20, very similar wording to Philippians 4, 4-9. through 9. Look at that, singing with, to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. There's rejoicing. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. There's praying with thanksgiving. Very similar stuff. We're in Philippians when we're right here in Ephesians 5. And this is what gives structure to the household code, gives shape to your parenting in chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. So we are talking about parenting. And in fact, last week we were talking about parenting. All through the book of Philippians, we were talking about parenting. Though there wasn't a thing there about parenting specifically, explicitly. Everything is about parenting. Every time Paul says, Christ is life, he's talking about your parenting. To live is Christ. This is the treasure of surpassing worth. Christ filling your heart. He's talking about parenting. Every time he says something like that, he's on the subject of parenting long before he says anything like children obey your parents, fathers, here's what you do, don't provoke your children to anger, the specifics, long before he gets there, he's talking about parenting all the time because he's talking about Christ and the gospel moving into you and changing you and making you a different person, making you a godly person, in other words, making you a good parent. This must be the first point. And really, it could be the last point. We could end the series right here. Because if you, parent, if you would be this person filled with the Spirit, God pouring all of his wealth by the Spirit into you, If you would be that person taken over such that you see Christ as of surpassing worth, are consumed by that, you will step into relationship with your children and everything will be fine. It will be fine. Because you will walk like Christ and you will, Philippians chapter 2, you will consider their needs of greater importance than your own. You will lay down your life to serve them for what they actually need and you will shape them to see a Christ who is the, the joy of your own heart and everything will be fine. This could be the first and the last point. This could be the series on parenting. And I want to say that again so that you will see it. Everything else is just add-on. This could be the series on parenting. This point right here alone. Be filled with the Spirit. Well, briefly, how do you do that? Well, it's an odd, passive command, which very rightly captures the tension. God must do it. Well, it's passive. I don't do it. God must do it. Be filled. God, God, God. But it's a command to me because there's something, there's some, there's some posture you need to have towards God that's not a posture of resistance. I got this. Thank you very much. No, thank you. I don't want to respond to you. I, I don't want you to control my life. I don't want you to direct it. I know what I want to do, and I'm going to do it. I know what I'm going to believe, I'm going to believe it. He must do it, but I must have a posture that's kind of like this, if I I have my heart here, like that. I'm open. I want to receive from you. I want to be submissive and receptive, humble beneath you, Lord. I want to drink in that which you want to pour out. We can look at the parallel passage in Colossians, which indicates that's done especially by drinking in the Scripture. There's there's an openness, a submissiveness that says, here I am, have me, Lord. I I will take up your word and I will ask you, oh Lord, would you please, think of Philippians again, would you please, God, be at work in me to will and to work according to your good pleasure. You must do it, but I am seeking it. I want it, and I will respond to it. Help. It's a passive command. The tension is, God must do it, and I must receive it, be open and submissive to it, not hardened against it. This is the first observation. As I said, it could be the last observation. If you want to be a great parent, just read Philippians again. They don't have to read the passages that talk about children and parents like this one. Just read Philippians or read Romans. You'll be a great parent if it'll take over your heart. And you won't be a great parent if it doesn't. You won't be a great parent if it doesn't. I, I look at my own life and I talk to a lot of Christians who say, Not like this, of course, but say essentially, I I don't really want to pursue God. I don't really want to submit myself to him. I'm not that interested in being filled with the Spirit. I I don't regard Christ as the treasure of my heart. How can I have a great family? And the answer is you can't. That's the hard answer is that You cannot. How can I do parenting well, given that I don't want to do that? And the answer is, you cannot. The family that you probably want and the family, the parenting that God wants you to engage in comes from, flows out of the filling of the Spirit. That is, God pouring God into you. Capturing your mind renewing you and changing you. That could be done. God could be done. But in his kindness, he has told us more. He has told us some specifics then, which now brings us to the passage I read, Ephesians chapter 6, and the second point. So now turning to Ephesians specifically, chapter 6, we'll look at the parent-child relationship, that structure. Verses 1 to 3 are addressed directly to the children among us, and notice, kids, young people, teenagers. He just assumes you're, sit- you're sitting here. He assumes you're here. He doesn't pause and say, okay, now I'm going to talk to the kids. So I'll wait a minute. You go get them from the other room where you have sent them off to and bring them in so that I can talk to them. He just picks right up. Next sentence, children, obey your parents. You're, you're sitting here. You're, you're in the worship service with us. You're hearing the word of the Lord with us, exactly like you should be. Now, I acknowledge that sometimes I speak quickly. I say big words. I talk for a long time. And there might be things you don't understand. We'll come to how your parents are supposed to pick that up and help you with that. It's part of their job. But you're supposed to be here. And I was going to speak specifically to kids. And here's the point to Children. Children, by the power of the Spirit, obey your parents. Children, by the power of the Spirit, obey your parents. That's the command in verse one, reinforced by the, the quote of the commandment in verse two. It's obvious the point. Children, and if, if that word's belittling to you, if you're if you're 17, you don't like that, it's just the word in the Bible you should think the division here is people who are still being raised and are dependents and people who are doing the raising and are independents. So which side of the line are you on? If you're a dependent, the Bible's using the word child. Kids, guys, whatever works for you. Children are to obey parents in the Lord. That is, to follow, to be subject to, to do what someone else tells you to do. Unless, of course, they tell you to sin, you obey them in the Lord. So generally, obey means what you think it means. Children, do what your parents say with a happy heart. But why? This is really important. It's important to see this. Paul begins to answer the question, why should you obey your parents Obey your parents for this is right. That's his first answer. He just says it's the right thing to do. You have your origin is from them. They are the ones who are taking care of your life. It's right to obey them and then he backs it up by saying actually the 10 commandments say it's right. Honor your father and mother. So, really, that this could be enough. Why should you obey them? Because God said so, and God's God. He has the right to say that. And so part of where you sit beneath God is to say, God has told me to obey my parents, and I will obey my parents. However, there is more reason that he gives you. Look at this. You can read this. You can look in your Bible and read, "...on your father and mother... And see the parentheses there? This is the first commandment with a promise. He's making a point there. Paul interrupts his quote of the Old Testament Ten Commandments and says, this is something actually very special in the Ten Commandments. This commandment comes with a promise attached to it, something very unique. He speaks to you, this is what you are to do, And then backs it up with a promise to do good to you here's the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land something that's for your benefit and where that comes from in the old testament initially in the old testament god made this promise to israelite children he's talking about god's covenant and his blessings in the land of israel that they're going into that's what it means initially back in the old testament But Paul, as he often does, picks up something from the Old Testament and shows that it applies to us, the church. To you, Christian teenager, Christian middle schooler. God has given you a promise here. There is a way that life may go well with you and that you may come to enjoy a full life on earth. Think about that. Kids, look at me. God is talking to you about how your life can go well on earth, can be long and prosperous. He ties that very closely to this commandment. You should want this because you, like me, like all of us, we want our lives to go long and well. Now, it's not a promise that nobody's ever going to die young. It's a promise in line with wisdom in the Bible. Wisdom in the Bible says, here's how things usually work out. Not certainly, it's not a law, it always is like this, but this is the way it goes. Here's the way to find a prosperous life, a good life. You want that. And God ties that to obeying your parents. Why? Well, here's at least part of why. You, like me, like all of us, we are born foolish. We are born not knowing how the world works. We are born not understanding, even ourselves. The Bible calls this our fallenness, our fallen nature. We are born, turned away from God and away from wisdom, and ultimately you need a new heart. You need God to save you for that to be changed ultimately. But in addition to that, once he saves you and gives you a new heart, then he is committed, God is committed, to do you good to grow you up, to mature you, to shape you, to build wisdom into your mind. And one great way he does that is through your parents. God aims to teach and disciple you all through the course of your life, and he wants to use the disciplining and the guiding and the teaching authority of your parents over you in that process. Even if your parents, even if your parents don't know Christ, even if your parents themselves are foolish, that's not going to be as good as if they did know Christ, if they were Christians, if they were themselves wise, but it will be something because parents have gone before you, even ones that are not Christians have gone before you and understand many more things about the world than you do. Now, I know, if you're 17, it's really hard for you to believe, because you know everything. I have a teenager. I was a teenager. I get this. And you've all heard the old joke, on, I mean, it's written everywhere, posters and whatnot, you know, teenagers, quick, move out while you still know everything. you'll realize you don't know everything. And that mom and dad, even mom and dad who aren't Christians, even mom and dad who who are not wise, and unfortunately, there are moms and dads who are not wise, who are not godly, who do not know Christ. But even them, they are older than you and know some things that you think you know but don't. And God in his wisdom is saying, let me help you by putting you beneath them. Respond to them obediently. Not in sin, but when they guide you, listen. Listen. Obviously, it'll be even greater benefit when they guide you towards Christ. And when they themselves, parents, when you yourselves walk with God and know Him deeply and and are wise in a godly sense, it'll be of even greater benefit to your kids. But He will use this family relationship to shape you, children, kids, teenagers, guys, into full, wise, Christ-like adults. It's a great reason to obey Him. A blessing to you. But that's hard because, as you know, mom and dad don't know anything. They certainly don't know how your life works. And they're awkward around your friends. And they're stubborn about a bunch of stuff. So, how can you listen to them? Remember the point by the Spirit, obey your parents. By the Spirit. If you're seven, if you're seven years old. Let me say it just like this. If you're seven years old, here's how you can respond to God and experience the good that he wants to give you. Think about how great Jesus is. If you're seven years old, you can write this down. Think about how great Jesus is. Think about all that he has done for you. Trust him to take care of you and obey your mom and dad. Seven-year-old, you can write that down. Think about how great Jesus is, all that he's done for you, how much he cares for you, and obey your mom and dad. But if you're 17, let me say a little bit more. And I I say 17. If you're 20, if you're 15, you need to learn to think. Think. Teenager, you need to learn to to engage your mind and think through the truth of the Scripture. So think about this. You can think about this, if you will. Think. What 518 and 521 are saying, 518, be filled with the Spirit, 521, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, what those two verses together are saying is that submitting to one another, or in this case, submitting to a parent, comes from being filled with the Spirit. It does not come from, I'm going to suck it up and do it because I'm supposed to. I have to. No, it comes from being filled with the Spirit. And if you're going to be submissive to that parent, as you're supposed to be, you must work back to 518 and say, filled with the Spirit. That's how. So, 17-year-old... When I'm saying obey your parent, what I'm really saying is be filled with the Spirit. The Christian life is a life of not just doing what I'm told to do, it's a life of being changed on the inside so that I do what I'm told, in fact, yes, but actually I want to do that as I'm changed. God means teenager, God means to change you on the inside. Not just conform your behavior to what the book says. He wants to change you on the inside which is a glorious thing. So that you can find what the book requires and what my heart wants match awesome. Because the thing you hate the thing you hate is when the book requires something and your heart wants something else. God wants to work in you to align those two things So the book requires, and your heart wants, you seeing Christ as your treasure, as the thing that is most valuable, more valuable than your friends' opinions, more valuable than the clothes you're wearing, more valuable than your athletic prowess or your grades. Christ. God will do that work in you. God wants to do that work in you. And the result will be, you will find your heart lined up with what he wants, which is a sweet life. So you, just like I was saying about the rest of us, you respond then to him like this. Open-hearted. Please, God, work on me. Spirit of God, work on me. Show me this Jesus as I read the word. Show me how good he is. Show me all that he is for me. Believe him. Believe him to be sufficient for you. And obey your parents. That's children. That's the first three verses. Children, by the power of the Spirit, obey your parents. And in the second half of the passage turns the tables to talk to parents. This is the third observation. Verse 4 specifically addresses the fathers directly. I mean, you can look at it right there. Fathers do not provoke your children to anger. So everything that follows that is primarily, particularly, especially addressed to dads. So don't let this command slide on by you, dads, and go to rest on your wife. It's the dads. The Bible is really clear about male headship of the home, which means male responsibility, which means male accountability before God. This is to you. However, he isn't giving a complete free pass to the mothers in the church because, verse 1, children are to obey their parents, both of them. Not just dad. And they are to, verse 2, honor father and mother, both. And notice the connection is because obeying mom and dad, they will be the guide of me. And that's, what the, that's where the blessing comes from. They will be the guide. And that's about what he's, he's going to say here. Nourish, direct your children. So if obeying the two of them is going to be what blesses, then she must be doing some directing. Mom, you're included here. So I'm going to use the language of parents, keeping in mind that it's fathers first. So here's the third point. Parents, particularly fathers. Parents, by the power of the spirit, nourish your children. Parents by the power of the spirit, nourish your children. Bring them up is is what my English says there in verse 4. The word behind it is nourish. The same word used up above in verse 29 where it talks about nourishing a body. Nourish to care for, to feed, to provide for so that something grows. In this case, children. This is the goal to which parents, full of the Spirit, are commanded to diligently give themselves to. This is active. Active. Attention required. We're to be engaged with this. It's a command to us to do it. This is not a situation where we can step back and say, I will do no harm. But in fact, we have to engage to feed, to nourish. So Paul's going, but before he gets there, as he often does, he tells us what not to do. So the verse begins, Do not provoke your children to anger. Do not provoke, do not drive them towards anger. Take care that you not do that, a clear command. Command's clear, but how do you do that? Well, it'd be impossible to be exhaustive here. How, how do we drive people to anger? But, well, we can't be exhaustive. Think about it. Just think, think for yourselves. What drives you to anger? What provokes people, you, to anger? Constant nagging, demeaning and belittling speech, criticism, demands that are overwhelming, arbitrariness and discipline, unfairness, inconsistency, humiliation. Stuff like that drives me to anger. Probably you too, comma, probably your kids too. So don't, don't provoke your children to anger means don't be arbitrary and disciplined and don't be a constant nag and don't demean them and criticize them, etc., etc. Those kind of things plant the seeds of anger and frustration and bitterness and hopelessness and then they water it so that it grows and it makes our authority really hard to bear. Just like it makes it really hard for you to bear authority that's like that over you. It makes our authority really hard to bear and alarmingly if you were to look back into Ephesians chapter 4 26 and 27 would tell us that anger not dealt with alarmingly anger not dealt with and removed opens the door to satan and invites him to come in and exert influence So think about that. You provoke your children to anger. You, you, you bear on them like this, and you drive them and drive them and drive them and irritate them, and not only are you sowing bitterness, that's, you, can, you can see that, but what you don't realize is that behind that, what's behind that is Satan sinking the hook in. Now where is that going to go? I don't know, but you don't want that to happen at all. Who knows what the end of that is, but you don't want that to even start. So don't provoke them to anger. Do you have something to repent of? Before God, before your kids. Are you a provoking parent? I know lots of parents that aren't, and I know parents that are. Do you have something to repent of? Are you provocative? Provocative? in this way don't provoke but instead bring them up or nourish them there's the word there in the discipline and instruction of the Lord you've been established as the authority over your kids and while for them it's a parental authority authority to to be embraced for you it's a responsibility to be discharged actively engaged in so, this job has two different angles to it. You are to pass on to them Christ in these two different ways. Here you've got two different words, discipline and instruction. And they are close words. They are not completely separate, completely exclusive words. There's, there's overlap to them, but they are slightly different. And in one way or another, these two words are going to be what, we're, what we'll be talking about for the next four weeks. Because everything that we do as parents in engaging with kids is, involves some sort of discipline and some sort of instruction. So that's kind of going to give the background that'll be the, the back the background behind the next several sermons, but here we'll touch on them. Discipline, the first word there emphasizes the physical. yes, that includes punishment. but it also includes various physical things like practice and training and creating structures and and environments in which Doing happens. So you can guide and direct your kids, help them to understand something. You you look at them, you observe their strengths and their weaknesses, and you say, What we need to do is this. Maybe that includes I need to teach Junior how to study the Bible, I need to teach Junior how to take care of his body, the temple of the Spirit. I need to teach him how to take a shower. I mean, goodness, there are a couple people who teach middle school kids here and you wish parents would teach kids how to shower. That's, that's the truth. Sometimes discipline includes that sort of structure. Maybe you say, I need to, to create an environment in which this particular skill that God's given this one of my children here can be developed and can thrive Need to create an environment for us to do something. Or there's a piece of godly wisdom that she lacks. I'm going to create challenges to that, opportunities to learn. Maybe I need to punish, to discipline this talking back that's just growing, growing, growing. Whatever it is. Discipline. Christ's word discipline. And then the second one, Christ's word instruction. It's less about what you do and more about what you say. The word behind it is the word admonish. So you're, you're speaking, correcting words, correcting misunderstanding, correcting error. You read and you teach and you remind them about the truth, about God and his righteousness and In your prayers, as they listen to your words, they they understand something about who you think God is and how you feel about him. And as they watch you talk to other people, Christians or non-Christians, they see something in your words. You're, You're teaching them all the time with what you're saying. Lots of things you could say to bring Christ to your children's heart and to drive away foolishness. And the focus in all of your doing and all of your saying is not their behavior, but it is, in fact, their heart. That's what we're after as parents. We're thinking about instructing, speaking to, and disciplining, giving shape to, creating environments for the heart to develop. Not just to change behavior, but to point their hearts towards Christ. To point out Life with Christ is full and beautiful. And as the psalmist says, the sorrow of those who run after other gods multiplies. That's what I'm after. I am disciplining and instructing my child's heart. Now, I've been a little bit vague about that. We'll have more to say about it in coming weeks. But really, the reason that I have to be vague is that I don't know your kids. I should know my kids, and you should know your kids, and you should know this is what needs to happen there. This is what I need to do, and this is what I need to say and, and keep saying and give some focus to. There should be in you and in, in me for my kids an awareness. Okay, once I think about once I just hear Steve say discipline and instruct, some things begin to come to mind. I need to discipline like this, in this way. I need to instruct here in, about that. However, against what I just said should be the case, we need to consider what a wise saint once said about this passage. He said, that if parents gave as much thought to the rearing of their children as they do to the rearing of animals and flowers, the situation would be very different. I could add in, of course, it gave as much thought to the development of their careers, the improvement of hobby, sport, et cetera, et cetera. Because that kind of gets down to the, the problem probably a number of us are, are here and you're listening to me as I'm working through verse 4, and probably many of us are saying, sure, yeah, okay. I mean, what time is it? Okay, yeah. Don't pro- I didn't expect to show up and find the Bible telling me to make my kids angry. And I didn't expect to show up and find the Bible saying, don't bother teaching them anything. Let them be as they are. So you're not surprised by this. In fact, it's kind of what you thought it should be. It's kind of what you've always heard. Sure, yeah. The problem is not ignorance. The problem is not ignorance. Which is why I really didn't need to preach this point. We could have made the first point the whole series. Because you already knew, don't provoke your kids to anger. You already knew, instruct them and teach them. And kids, you already knew, obey your parents, frankly. There's nobody here disagreeing with, with these statements. There's nobody here who's been just freshly illumined and is wondering why they'd never heard this before. The whole problem is that we're pretty spotty in doing it. And that's because of something going on in here. If I can, for a moment, divide the head and the heart. It's not because you didn't know it. It's because there's something going on in here. Do you find yourself giving more time to animals and flowers and work and skiing? If so, let rest on you, not crush you, let rest on you the command of the Lord. You, parent, it is your job to nourish your children. Maybe you have some repenting to do. And then immediately have some turning to God and say, Spirit of God, would you control me and would you fill me? Because the the whole statement is, by the power of the Spirit, raise your children. If it's not by the power of the Spirit, it ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen. By the power of the Spirit, by the Spirit filling you. So you, 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 maybe you need to repent and say, Oh, Lord, I have, I have dropped this entirely. And then think another step. Why is that? And I, I'll bet you a dollar the answer you'll find there. Why is that? has something to do with my life is given to something else and this is a little bit frightening and a little bit confusing. I'd rather not. I'd rather give my life to this other thing that I'm, I'm sure I can make it go well and I'm sure I will find life in. I bump into my teenager and he doesn't want to hear it, so I'm going to go back to work. That's a hard issue. It's a hard issue. So you you repent, then you say, oh God, would you deal with my heart? Would you by your Spirit pour into me all of your wealth, all of your goodness, all of your beauty, so that you Lord, not the command that I must raise my kids, but that you, first and foremost, you would fill my eyes and fill my heart so that I in here, before I even remember that I have kids, so that I in here would be convinced that to live is Christ and that he is the greatest treasure and that I cannot find it on the golf course, I cannot find it on the computer, I cannot find it in my bank account, I cannot find it anywhere else other than in you. My life is in you. You are Beautiful and wonderful and everything else is rubbish and so I throw it aside and you fill my heart you fill my life and now what should I do? My kids? Okay. That has to happen. And if it doesn't everything else that I said about provoke don't provoke your children to anger bring up the discipline and instruction of the Lord will, will only be a yeah, yeah, yeah and as soon as it gets a little difficult you won't do it. I know you won't, because I don't. I'm not any different than you, I get you. Christ must control your mind and your heart if you want to be a parent. If you're not going to bother with that, you're not going to be a good parent. That's it. So men and women, by the power of the Spirit, What I hope to do here is to say, it's about Christ, it's about Christ, it's about Christ, you want to be a good parent, read Philippians again. Forget this paragraph, read Philippians again. Because it's about Christ owning you and controlling you and holding you. And when He fills you up by the power of the Spirit, you won't provoke your kids to anger because you won't be a provoker, you'll be a lover. You will be. You will instruct them and guide them and shape them because that's what flows out of you. You can't otherwise, you can't point them towards materialism with your words or with your life because you yourself are not materialistic. You have regarded it all as rubbish and you point them towards Christ and they find that He is your life. And even if you never say anything specifically about that, it will rub off, they will see it, and they will believe it because it is you and you are beautiful yourself attractive, winsome. Filled with Christ, Him shining through you, you yourself draw them. And as they grow up, they realize, oh, it's actually Christ in you drawing me. I didn't get that at first, but they will get it. And the Spirit fills you such that your vision is captivated by Christ and He is satisfying you be concerned about the need of others before yourself to be what they need for you to be a parent a loving nourishing disciplining instructing shepherd of them for them for Christ when that happens Christ honoring sweet parenting happens and children follow And children meet Christ and they grow up as worshipers of Him and servants of Him. And your family is a place you want to be. And it is honoring to the Lord. So here at the beginning of this series, if I can say anything at all, it's that Christ-honoring parenting must flow from Christ filling you up himself. Seek that first parent, child. Others who are not parents, as you talk to parents and try to help them with their family struggles, make sure that's first. That's what's most important. And what will come of that is a family that points not just the people in the family but all those around them points to some other one who is life, to Christ, which is awesome. Let me pray. Lord, would you please grip us, particularly us who are parents here, would you grip us this morning and maybe bring conviction to us But particularly, Lord, I ask that you would change our vision. That the things of the world would not captivate us, but that you would. Forgive us, Lord, where that has not been the case. And fill us, by your Spirit, fill us with Christ. Cause us to want him above all things and to pursue him and not be as Philippians 3 talks about not be those who love the world, not be those whose, whose bellies are their gods, but be those who look forward to a kingdom and to a king who is coming, God the Son, coming to reign and to set up a wonderful, awesome kingdom. That they is coming. Give us eyes to see it. And would you fill us now to be members, worthy citizens of it? For your honor in our families, I pray this. Thank you, Lord. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission.